This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to this bonus episode from For Tech Sake. In our latest episode, we explored the influence of technology on the world of agriculture, looking at how tech solutions are found for farming challenges, how it can bring more sustainability to the world of agriculture, and as always, how there sometimes is such a thing as too much tech and maybe smart farming isn't always a smart solution. To help us learn more about these issues, we spoke to Podrick Hennessy, CEO and co-founder of Terra Nutritech, a startup developing technology for precision liquid delivery of nutritional supplements for animals. We really enjoy this conversation with Podrick and in this bonus episode, you'll hear more of his thoughts on the global challenges facing farmers, a deeper conversation around the topic of sustainability and some of the agritech innovations that he is most excited about. If you want to jump right to the new stuff, we'll signpost you with some timestamps in the show notes. We hope you enjoy this chat as much as we did and be sure to come back next week for an all new episode. So, Padraig, firstly, can you tell us a little bit about the background behind Terra Nutritech and how it started? Um, so, Terra Nutritech, um, the simplest way to describe what we do is we've developed an espresso machine to put Baraka for cows into water. Anyone from a non-ag um, background can understand that. I've It took me years to, to hone that to, to be able to describe what we do. Um, so our journey began about 10 years ago, and that was from uh, farmers asking us, um, had we a better way to put uh, liquid supplements into the water? Um, it was one area on farming that, in farming that hadn't actually changed in a generation. It was still being done the same way as it was, as it was done in the, in the 60s and the 70s. So we started looking at the available technology around the world um, to see, could we bring any of that technology into Ireland and, and could we improve the process that was happening here? Um, and we just couldn't find any technology good enough out there. We launched with technology that I'll say half done the job just to see was there a real market, was there a real demand? Um, and it very quickly caught on. In the first uh, four years of the business, we doubled the size of our business each and every year. So um, we were really gaining traction. Um, then we were bringing in some of that technology from the UK. We were also bringing in some of the supplements um, from the UK. So effectively our our business is like a printer model. Um, we put the technology on farm and we get the uh, sale then of the consumables of those minerals through our system. So um, the Brexit vote was announced on, a, on at 8 a.m. on a Tuesday morning, I think it was. I made my first phone calls about building our own premises, our own factory to produce the minerals at 9 a.m. because I knew things were going to change and were going to change fast. Um, we built our own manufacturing facility for the minerals um, and then... We realized the technology we were using, um, you actually needed a screwdriver in order to change cow numbers on it, in order to really get the precision. So um, it was a small bit out of date, we'll call it. Um, at the same time, you know, it was uh, smartphones were coming in, um, you know, everybody suddenly seemed to have them and farmers kept asking us, well, guys, can I get this information on my phone? Have you got an app for this? So we had to look at our technology um, and literally build it again from the ground up. Um, and that was a a learning curve, to put it mildly. Um, I started off by bringing in some consultants to help us and those consultants, uh, I remember the first one saying to me, um, I see your budget there, but um, it always takes twice the amount of time and twice the budget to build anything. And I went, no, no, I'm going to manage this much better than that. Um, and I'll say he was wrong. It took three times the amount <laughs> of time and cost about four times the amount of what we thought. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so... Uh, 
eventually after going down the wrong road for about six months, um, I, we actually hired in our own tech team as well, um, our own CTO, and we brought in some programmers as well. Um, and we built technology literally from the ground up, um, developing both firmware, hardware, uh, apps, uh, reporting modules. Um, we've brought out about four separate um, different apps in the last four years. We've developed high-end systems, uh, mobile systems, um, shed systems. So we've been we've been very busy as a tech company. And really, what this has allowed us to do is we now actually have a um, have a have a tech solution for every single farm that we go into. Um, and it's really important because every farm is different. Um, some farms might be uh, might have various different yards in, in various locations. Others might have one yard. Others might have fields in different areas, might have different water sources. Every single farm is unique. So the more we were in the industry, the more we realized we needed to be really flexible with our solutions. So we had a solution for every single, for every single farm. Um, we've grown a really solid business in Ireland. And in the last 18 months, we've also launched in France um, and in Germany. Um, we still haven't launched in the UK. You know, a lot of people say to us, well, why? Um, there was just so much, uh, you know, question marks over Brexit over the last three or four years. It's only really settled down in the last two years. And we actually already had really good partners identified and, and we're working with in France and in Germany at that stage. So we decided to bypass it because even going forward, um, we're not quite sure on, on some of the animal feed rules. Um, is there going to be a difference between EU legislation and UK legislation there? So uh, we made a we made a decision to to uh, go to mainland Europe um, in the short term. And it sounds like you, um, as you said, you you went to farms and it's all kind of it's very kind of customized and tailored. So like you are working very closely with the farms when yes. you're creating the solutions. The industry we're in, in the mineral industry, um, is really uh, it's big players in the industry. There's mm. um, you know anything from hundreds of millions of turnover to billions of turnover in the industry, and. Uh, all of those big companies are, are usually one, if not two steps away from the farmer. So we actually decided to go a different route um, and decided to own all the verticals all the way into the farmer. So we actually could see uh, what the farmer wanted, hear from them, what the challenges were and react accordingly, you know, and mm. develop and change our technology for those farmers. So we do everything from um, manufacturing our own tech to manufacturing our own minerals to um, distributing them ourselves, um, to, to talking to those farmers constantly, to making sure that we actually have the right solution for them. Um, now, that's a challenge um, because it does slow down scale, but it also um, results in a really robust business. Mm. And let's talk about the agriculture sector in, in general and about those challenges facing farmers and, you know, where the tech adoption kind of comes in to face mm -hmm. those challenges in general. Um, one of the biggest challenges really for farming is the fluctuation in commodity prices. Um, in 2022, milk prices were at an all-time high um, and farmers um, made good money in 2022. Um, 23 was much, much lower. So this year, farmers are, are barely breaking even. Um, so it's really, really difficult um, trying to manage cash flow. And, and that has a real big knock-on effect with technology adoption. Last year, there was a lot of technology adopted. This year, not as much. And even from a from a technology company, trying to manage that um, fluctuations in demand is really, really difficult. Um, farmers at the moment as well, they're, they're, they're under attack from all sides, um, both from um, legislation, um, but also from like mainstream media and from consumers, that they feel they're, they're becoming the scapegoat for everything climate related. Um, and the reality is, Farming can't ever be put into the same bucket as air travel or as um, data centres. We can all live it out going on holiday abroad. We wouldn't like it, but we could live with it. Um, we could all live it out seven different copies of every photo we have on, in, in data centres. 
we all can't live without breakfast, lunch and dinner. You know, farmers actually produce the food to keep us alive, literally. So um, they're, they're really a separate entity as all of the other emitters. They have to improve, absolutely, and they have to get better. But um, from a farmer's psyche at the moment, it just seems to be under attack from every direction. And that's also having effect. Um, there's a study out actually only today where um, 25% of farmers are actually feeling burnt out. Um, and that's down to workload. Um, and that's down to to that attack, really, that and th- that I'm talking about. The workload um, side of things is really, really difficult now to get labour on farms. Um, it's it's you know it's we're at full employment effectively in the economy. So there's I'm going to say there's nicer jobs for people to do. Do, do you because they're seeing um, farmers um, kind of being pushed to the brink? They don't really want to go into into farming anymore, and that's putting pressure on everybody else in the farming sector. Um, and then changing practices as well. You know, from a leg- even from a legislation point of view, practices are slowly changing. And the average age of farmers being, um, you know, in the late 50s, I think, or, or early 60s even now, um, it's really difficult for that generation to change practices easily. Um, and especially then to adopt technology. Um, because farmers can't work harder. They're going to have to work smarter. Um, because farming is going to change hugely over the next five years. Um, we It has to, to hit the, the first set of environmental targets. And that's only the first set. And then it'll be a second set and a third set. So in order to hit those, it isn't about working harder. It's about adopting technologies. And that's going to be a real challenge going forward um, for especially the, the older generation is adopting these technologies because many, um, they're, they're really only periphery user, users of technology. You know, they, they it might be WhatsApp, it might be a smartphone and maybe three or four apps that they regularly use, mm-hmm. but that's about it. I really appreciate you bringing that voice to it as well because there is sometimes this attitude that farmers aren't innovative and I just think that's so unfair like there's so many different things that farmers are looking into doing I've heard of so many things that are also just into the agricultural science side of things not just in the tech like looking at how land use is managed and stuff like that there's lots of stuff going on and there's lots of consideration for how do we do this more sustainably how do we do this better and I think that is definitely a really fair point to make um, and then there's, yeah, there's going to be labour shortage and stuff like that. So they may need to look at more tech assistance to mm. to work on the farm, to do the work of the people that they used to have, but they can't get yeah. anymore. So obviously there's going to be this tech adoption, but also that's another point that you've made there. I think there's an assumption when maybe there's talk and there's media hype around technology and how it might be able to be adopted and used to improve things that all you need to do is just build it and it will work and people will be able to use it day one and everything will be fine. And why why isn't it happening already? Why aren't things better already? But it's completely discounting the idea that you need to teach people how to use the technology. It needs to be culturally embedded with them to work alongside it. And that's a whole job of work that I don't think is addressed it's as not, well. It's, it's not being addressed at all at the moment. Um, there's there's no teaching of uh, around technology happening um, in the, in Ireland at the moment at all. You know, and it's it's that's going to be a big, big challenge going forward. And is there anything like with your experience, like, cause, like you've even built your business around being closer to the farmers and you yourself have a farming background yes. as well and a tech background. So you're just like really perfectly positioned here. Um, is there anything that you feel is kind of becoming a bit like a lot of the agri-tech space is quite lush right now you know there's like lots of active investment happening in agri-tech but do you think some of that activity might be just missing what could be the most effective stuff in farming and some of it might be tech for tech's sake oh absolutely there's <laughs> there's a lot of tech for tech's sake um i speak to, to you know startups regularly and uh, my first question is does the problem exist does this problem that you've identified does it actually exist and then the really important question is question number two 
are farmers willing to pay to solve that problem? Mm. And frequently the answer is no to that. So when you have to go and educate um, your, your, your potential clients about the problem and then educate them why they should pay to solve that problem, that's a long process. Mm. Um, no VC is going to go with you on that journey. You know, VCs are going to be short term. Um, that's a, and, and I know because in, in, in my own business, Terra Nutritech, it's effectively what we've done. We've, we've kind of introduced a new technology and a new way of doing things. And it's slow. It's farm by farm by farm. Um, you know, there's no silver bullet where you're just going to get mass adoption. Um, you can get really, really good, loyal customers when you do things right. Um, but you're never going to go from, you know, you're never going to 10x growth um, in a year. Ever. It's never going to happen with, with, with ag tech, really. Mm. And a lot of VCs are actually starting to see that now. And that's why they're starting to just pull back a small bit from from, um, from ag tech because they're seeing the life cycle of products just isn't the same. It's a much, much slower adoption rate. It's so unfortunate because it sounds like this sounds like good business. Like you had Forex growth. Like, mm. why isn't that good enough? And like you might have slow growth, but you have very loyal customers. Like that sounds like sustainable business. This sounds really good and promising, but it's just unfortunate that the way the VC world is now, it's more about like immediate uh, growth. Short, and term, maximum, short, yeah. term, short term, short term. Short term, yeah. short, exactly. But like, are there any things like you've obviously, you identified something that there was a need. You worked with farmers to improve it. You continue to work with them to make sure that you're servicing them. Are there other areas that you think that you'd like to see startups activate in that you identified that there's definitely something that needs to be done here and a tech solution may be possible? If I'd identified it, I'd set up my own business. <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't give it all away here. <laughs> um, one area I think, um, I'm not sure startups are going to be able to to uh, fit into this gap is methane emissions um, because of the, re- the body of research that's needed around uh, any sort of additive um, that can solve methane emissions. Um, I don't think is is uh, startup friendly mm. um, because just the amount of regulatory work that would need to be done um, would eat up too much cash and run out of runway. Um, data is the big challenge. On every farm or many farms you go into, there's anywhere from three to ten. Um, I'll call them data gathering devices. You know, from farm management software to milk recording to mineral systems to whatever it is. None of them speak to each other at the moment. Mm. So there's a big data issue there that um, and first challenge is who owns the data um, I'd always be a big advocate of farmers need to own the data there's an education piece around that I've had farmers saying to me well my data is really valuable and when I have to to, to um, break the news that it's not actually valuable any individual farmer's data is ne- never going to be valuable and um, the value that they can derive from that is if we can get data sets together we can give them really good insights to what's happening on farm and they can make their own farm more productive and more profitable. That's where the real value is in this. But we need to be able to house all of this data in, in my opinion, some sort of independent, not-for-profit organization. Um, and those conversations are only just beginning on how that happens. And then you need you need your, your proper protocols in place to be able to, to you know, get data in there and take data out and, and um, GDPR and all the rest. And it's a whole minefield. That's, um, those conversations are just beginning but I think there could be huge value derived from that over the next kind of three or four or five years. And there's some there's some challenges that you mentioned there for like the wider kind of agri-tech sector and then there's challenges that you mentioned for you know farm farmers and their adoption of it but you know have you noticed is there any kind of difficulties when it comes to rolling the stuff out from the startup side or is there any particular challenges I suppose that the agritech startup sector you know you mentioned the VCs like there is a bit of a slower there's a bit of a pullback at the moment are there other challenges around agritech sector um, startups? The other challenge is 
in general, your hardware is going to one uh, onto one of the most harsh environments where it can go onto. Like it's mm. it's very difficult getting hardware onto farms. Yeah. Um, to make sure it's installed right, used right. Then you have your communications piece. Um, that's getting better. Um, you know, with the likes of, of well, national broadband, which is way too slow in my opinion, <laughs> um, to the likes of Starlink and stuff now, there are various different options there. Uh, we use um, we use the mobile phone network. Uh, we have SIM cards that can work anywhere in the world. It will connect to any one of the um, networks that are available. So, And that's probably 95% effective. There's still some farms that wouldn't have coverage, but it's, it's, it's getting quite good. Mm. Um, it's the slow, for startups as well, it's the slow rollout. It's the farm by farm piece, um, mm. and you need your you need your farmer to be an advocate, and then move to the next farm, and move to the next farm, move to the next farm. So it's it's waiting that process out to make sure that you're in positive cash flow quick enough. Mm. Um, I was only speaking to a, to a Canadian startup there recently, and they're five years in, and they still don't have a product. Wow. Not many companies can survive that. Mm. You know, they've they've raised quite a lot of money, and they're burning through it um, every single month. Um, so it's something that I would always say to startups is be really aware of your cash position because um, it's slow to turn around. When it does turn around, it's really sustainable business. If mm. you get your, if, if you know, once you get your product offering right, once you're giving value, but um, it's slow. Yeah, it's such a it's such a unique challenge as well to mm. the agritech. Like all startups have certain challenges, but then there's very different ones for different industries. Yeah. Um, looking to the wider kind of agritech sector are there any trends that you've kind of been noticing like not just necessarily in Ireland but globally like is there are there particular problems is like we talked about you know is there anything that maybe needs attention and you mentioned that but is there anything that's getting a lot of attention like is there a lot of specifics co- towards say robotics or towards automation or something yeah auto- automation definitely the challenges um so I've, I've been on a lot of farms um, um around Europe and I'll be talking to farms in North America and South America and stuff uh everyone has the same challenges um Labour is the big, big issue on all farms. Um, auto, so that leads its, itself into automation. Um, from the sustainability side, uh, Europe is is years ahead, I think, of, of anywhere else. Like South America, they're not interested in sustainability. It's not going to pay any bills, so they're not even talking about it. Um, potentially, the, the only, um, in the likes of South America, for example, they're looking at water and making sure there's no water wastage. But that's more from a commercial point of view rather than a sustainability point mm. of view. And there's a difference there. They might they might, they might both overlap. Um, so it's labour, in my mind, is the big, big one. Um, the sustainability side, like we have to hit targets. Um, but there's also a food security point of view. Um, there, was a, there was a new study out there at the weekend saying that uh, to feed the uh, increase in world population by 2030, a land base the size of Brazil is going to be needed that's not going to magically appear. Yeah. So farming needs to be better, needs to be more productive and do less with more. Um, that means Europe, we're still going to have to put out food. Like we have a moral imperative to uh, continue exporting food. Like we export a lot of food in Europe in general to the Middle East and to Africa. If they don't buy the food from Europe, they're going to have to buy it somewhere else. And it's going to go to the likes of South America where it's going to be a hell of a lot more unsustainable the way it's produced more rainforest will be cut down if there's demand there. So we should be doing things to the best of our ability here and also um, looking at, looking at, at in a more holistic way, I suppose, um, from a worldview, not just our own countries or Europe's view. And if, if those markets are currently buying for Europe, is that because Europe has a certain reputation or a standard or because it has the sustainability practice? Because I'm just thinking if South America 
which must be a massive agricultural economy on its own, isn't taking part in these sustainability practices. Well, like, you know, we need everyone kind of doing their best here. So is it that like European farmers can set a standard and lead the way in this kind of way? Um, Probably not. <laughs> no, being honest, um, that's only a very small market. The, the, the majority of the market is more middle class, wanting more proteins, and it's, they want cheap proteins. They're not looking at the at the, the carbon footprint of that. Um, they should be, but they're not. So we have to be mindful of that. Like we have to do things as best we can do them, but also, um, I suppose, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater here and say, well, we better cut it and having emissions actually going up then, you know, because it's being produced somewhere else in the world. Like we're all under the one roof here. So if there's a fire in one in one room, um, then yeah. there's no point putting out our fire, our fire. It all has to be put out together. Yeah. Yeah. If you leave it going in the other room, it's not going <laughs> to. Exactly. It's not going to put itself out. Yeah. Like, oh God, it's it's such a big. <laughs> it's it's a massive, massive challenge. Um, like when you look at all of the various geopolitical um, considerations here, it's 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 a massive, massive challenge to to to, to try and get your head around. Mm. Um, like as part of AgTech Ireland, uh, we led a delegation to Brussels in January where we spoke with um, uh, MEPs. We were the first ever AgTech delegation to, to set foot in Brussels. Um, AgTech isn't, isn't even being spoken about. Mm. But yet, on the other hand, they're saying AgTech is going to be the solution. So there's, in my opinion, there's going to be utter panic in every government in Europe, um, probably in two to three years, uh, about trying to hit uh, all of our, all of these uh, emissions um, cuts by 2030 because it's, it's we're so far away from it at the moment. There's a lot of talk but very little action happening at the moment. Yeah, that's ex- I mean, that's the problem summed up really neatly there, essentially. Um, but do you find, let's look at the Irish sector then, because like the whole world we can't account for <laughs> in this one podcast. Um, like, do you find that sustainability is top of mind in the agritech sector here and that people are engaging with it actively? Um, starting to. Um, on a year like this, when commodity prices are low, um, farmers are more worried about paying their tax bill, about paying, you know, paying wages than sustainability, unfortunately. And it can't all be left burdening the, the all the costs of, of sustainability cannot all be on the shoulders of farmers. Um, unfortunately, food is probably too cheap. That's the reality of it here. Um, that farmers are going to need to get some sort of premium to, to spend money on sustainable actions because they're not making enough money at the end of the day. And there has to be, sustainability isn't just environmental sustainability, there's economic sustainability too. And if farmers can't stay afloat, then we're all in trouble. So there has to be some equity around this that it can't all for, fall on the farmer's shoulders. And do you think that, um, you mentioned the education piece before, you know, that there there's very little training in terms of, you know, the investment that's going into that for farmers. Like, where do you think that piece needs to kind of, I mean, slot in makes it sound overly simplified, but, you know, like, at what point do you think that that education piece needs to be put in in the stage of tech adoption, I suppose? About two years ago. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think I think it needs to be to, to begin um, straight away because mm. you know that's going to be a slow process educating people. Um, mm-hmm. I think Chagas really is the is the body there that has the role to play um, mm. in in that. And I think they're only starting to get the grips with with technology and and what's going to be needed. Mm-hmm. Um, again, through Tech Ireland, we're we're engaging with um, Chagas to you know to talk about industry and industry's role because there's there's a piece in this you know from farmers to industry to research to to uh, government. We all need to be um, rowing the boat in the same direction. 
Otherwise, we certainly don't have a hope in hell of hitting any of these targets. So um, from AgTech Ireland's perspective, we really want to get all the stakeholders together and just continue those conversations to see where these overlaps occur and, and, and how we can help each other actually um, moving moving agriculture forward in the country. And finally, we, we mentioned a couple of um, a couple of startups, a couple of technologies and things like that at the start of the podcast. And obviously your own company um, is very important as well. But are there any kind of innovations in particular that you've kind of spotted in the sector that like really excite you? Um, Agritechnica was on um, just last week, which is one of the biggest uh, ag shows in, in the world. Um, one of the main things there was was uh, automated machinery. Mm-hmm. That's that's coming really fast. It's going to come to Ireland later than everywhere else because the average field size in Ireland is just too small. So it's easier to to get a tractor in a 10,000 acre field in, in the States and have it working away than trying to do four acres here and then drive down the road and do another four acres. Mm-hmm. Um, virtual fencing, actually, I think, is is a really interesting one. Um, there's a couple of companies working on that in New Zealand, uh, Halter being one, where uh, cows wear a, um, I think it's called a stimulation collar. Um, and if they... It, it, they're showing that cows can be really easily trained um, just by noise that they go to a certain place in the field and they hear the noise and they won't go any further. Um, so you can really improve the efficiency of, of grass utilisation, for example, with that. And suddenly farmers can be immediately, you know, 10% more efficient or whatever that figure is because th- with the sustainability targets, there's no silver bullet. It's all going to be 1%, 2 3% here and there with all the various different technologies. Um, and I think that's that's what we're looking at. Uh, drone technology is another. Um, I think there's some really interesting things happening there. More from from the arable side of things, you know, like the likes of you mentioned it earlier, precision spraying. Um, there's some really good Irish companies coming along with some really really good tech as well. Uh, like Micron AgriTech is one that you mentioned. Are really doing good things. Um, Dairy Robotics is another. Um, there's some really really innovative companies because we have we have a world class ag system um, here and we have a world class tech system and it's merging the two of those. And I think we're we should be leaders worldwide in, in what we do in ag tech. That's great. Roderick, thank you so much for talking to us today. You're very welcome. Thank you. Thank you very much. For Tech's Sake is a co-production from Silicon Republic and the Headstuff Podcast Network, hosted by Elaine Burke and Jenny Darmody. Thank you to Hilary Barry for production, Matt Matten and Dali for our graphics, Claudia Grandes for her social media support, and all at the Headstuff team. You can follow us at For Tech's Sake Pod on your platform of choice, or let us know what you think via fortechsakepod at gmail.com. As a Headstuff Plus community member, you get access to bonus content from across the network, so do check out some of our sister shows and give them your support. And tune in next week for a new episode from us. This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network, a hub for the creative and the curious. Shows are produced in association with Headstuff and the Podcast Studios Dublin. Find out more or become a member at headstuffpodcasts.com.